The following podcast is sponsored by SuperheroStuff.com. Sci-Fi For Me Radio presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is H2O. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of H2O. My name is Jason Hunt. I am in the bunker tonight alone and across the way via electronic device. Mr. Timothy Harvey joins me. Hello there. And uh, we are following up tonight's episode. Tonight's episode follows up on last week's episode. We had uh, we had kicked around uh, a topic and uh, got got a little bit of a response to it. So we'll we'll dive into it tonight. Shows, movies, books, TV series that we just haven't gotten around to it. Um, this is the, the television shows, um, for me, a lot of them were in the eighties and nineties, but you know, things, especially in genre, there are, uh, there are certain titles that you're expected to be familiar with, whether it's a movie that you should have seen because you're a, you're a sci-fi fan, you, you, you should have seen this movie. What? How can you claim to like science fiction if you haven't seen this movie? You know, those kind of things. Uh, and there are quite a few of those titles. And, and for, for me, you know, having been a science fiction fan for pretty much all my life, there are still, I will admit, some titles, some things that I have yet to get around to. And I'm sure for everybody, there is that list. And so I thought what we could do tonight is is just go through a few of those and and talk about you know maybe the circumstances as to why we haven't gotten around to it yet, or uh, you know if there's just particular reasons why if we're you know hesitant or resistant or just just uh, just not just not putting in the effort. So that's that's where we're going to start tonight. And and uh, if you have comments that you'd like to share with us, the email address, if you want to join the conversation, h2o at sci-fi for me dot com. And uh, we'll start with an email. Uh, we'll we'll go to the mailbag. You remember the, you remember the the show Zoom on PBS? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's yeah. time it's time to roll out the barrel. Remember remember yeah. that song. <laughs> Whenever they had, you know, whenever they went to the mailbag, it's time to roll out the barrel. Um, this is an email from uh, from Ray in uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He is one of our loyal listeners and and uh, contributors of really cool stuff here in the studio. And uh, he's given us his "haven't yet but men to someday" list. As far as movies go, this this actually surprises me a little bit, Ray. Uh, two thousand one and two thousand ten. Yeah, and did you see? Oh, did you see that news? That uh, what was it? Seventeen or nineteen minutes of footage from two thousand and one has just been found. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm just, wait, there's more. <laughs> Could it be? Now, the, the the question though is whether or not it adds anything to the movie. I haven't. Uh, I've been traveling this week, so I haven't been able to dig into the news yet, but. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see if this is something that's going to be, uh, it's it's if it's just scraps that just didn't make it into the final cut, or if it's a a, a particularly pivotal scene that somehow got lost. You know that 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 lost footage that makes everything make sense. You know. 
Well, I'm uh, going to suspect because I haven't, I haven't seen it either. Uh, I just saw, I just saw that it had been had been discovered. I haven't seen, you know, don't know exactly what the scenes are. Um, but I'm going to suspect that it's probably not going to change too much, just on the very simple fact that we're not talking about a filmmaker who just, you know, casually loses things. Right. I mean, Stanley Kubrick is, you know, for many people, and quite justifiably, one of the finest filmmakers in the history of film. Um, it's, I think it's highly unlikely that he would sit there and go, where did we put that? Yeah. 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 Well, he apparently... Yeah. Well, apparently this was, this was something uh, that came up um, at, a, at a film festival in, I think, Toronto, where uh, Douglas Trumbull, who, uh, of course, worked on, uh, worked on the, the effects for 2001. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, he and, said uh, that... Violent Running and how many other films? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Trumbull was, did, what, I mean, he, he worked on Star Wars. Um, he's, I don't know. Oh, hey. Oh, he was immensely, immensely influential in the 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah. The way, the look and, and the, you know, the mechanics of so many science fiction films. Yeah, so they were at an event in Toronto, Doug Trumbull and David Larson, and they've been working on a documentary on 2001, which is now not not continuing. I guess they're not continuing it for, for wonderful reason. But uh, at this event, they mentioned the footage had been found in perfect condition. And they weren't sure what the plans were, but according according to the to the IMDb page for the for the for the movie, this is this is an article on Slash Film. Uh, Kubrick trimmed about 19 minutes from the film uh, in 1968 when it premiered. It was 160 minutes. Kubrick then went in and trimmed about 19 minutes of it, and the assumption is that this is what was found. And according to IMDb, there were some some additional shots in the Dawn of Man sequence, and uh, there's a a scene that's in there that apparently was not in the beginning, the, the original cut. Some shots of Frank Poole jogging in the centrifuge. Uh, a sequence of shots in which Dave Bowman searches for the replacement antenna part, a scene where Hal severs the radio communication between Discovery and the pod uh, that Frank Poole is in before killing him. And it says here, this scene explains a line that stayed in the film in which Bowman addresses Hal on the subject. So, you know, Dave asks Hal about it, but he's asking about something that we didn't see in the movie. So some some different. I mean, it's it's little bits and pieces. It sounds like, but you but guess where this was found? It was found in the salt mines in Kansas. Now this is this is uh, this is the salt mines that are used as a storage facility now. Uh, and it is in Hutchinson, Kansas, where we were for Smallville Comic Con last year, and uh, and and Thomas Townley was there uh, this year taking pictures uh, of the event. But the the 
the salt mine museum there's a mu- there's a film history museum underneath uh, in this salt mine and we went and visit and there's a there's a superman costume from dean kane's run as superman there's a batman costume there's uh, there's pro- all sorts of props there's an old there's an old 35 millimeter steenbeck editing table you remember those uh, I saw that and I was like, "Oh, I haven't seen one of those since college. I want my hands on it. I wanted to. I wanted to play with it. I was like, go, oh, give me um, uh, a couple of movieolas." But in in that uh, in that storage facility, there's also a number of film canisters, and these are the uh, you're not your not your typical round, two inch wide, circular. You know your your film reel cans. These are the big ones. You know the big. Uh, right. hex- hexagon-shaped ones that the film uh, film copies the the answer prints were delivered to the movie theaters in. Right, and there's some that are in boxes, but there's some that are in these canisters. And uh, of course, I, I I'm taking pictures of everything. And as I'm looking at all of this, I notice that on one of the canisters is the label Star Wars. And I so desperately wanted to get my hands on that and open it up and see. Is this the first one? Is it the original version? Uh, because, you know, everybody wants it on Blu-ray. Uh, but I didn't realize that the, the 2001 footage was down there. So apparently that's that's where this is. And uh, the statement from Warner Brothers uh, addressing the whole idea, you know, the additional footage from 2001: A Space Odyssey has always existed in the Warner vaults. When Kubrick trimmed the minutes from 2001 after the New York premiere, he made it clear the shortened version was his final edit. The film is as he wanted it to be presented and preserved, and Warner Home Video has no plans to expand or revise Mr. Kubrick's vision. So. No director's cut, no uh, no extra 17-minute special edition 2001. Um, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna put in a voiceover. They're not gonna put in a unicorn. They're not gonna put in a, a, a an extra an extra wampa. <laughs> no, or, well, I mean, some, somebody will put it out where we can all see it if it's not already out. And but you know, I think. Again, he, Kubrick is one of those directors that you're just not going to go back in and recut one of his movies at this point. Right. I mean, that's like going back and saying, you know, I decided to recut Citizen Kane or Casablanca or, you know, you just don't do that. Because, you know, there's there's a reason those films and, and some of these directors, their, their works have survived and become the benchmarks that they were and are in in film history and the idea that you can go back in sit there and go I can make that better you know, <laughs> yeah maybe you can but <laughs> you can make it different well oh, and yeah. yeah well that's true yeah and it surprised it, it surprises me a little bit that Ray hasn't seen 2010 because I think 2010 got a little bit more exposure than 2001 because 2001 well, was at the beginning of the the awareness of science fiction as a film uh, medium because you really you know by then you know when 2010 came out 
you know, we'd had Star Wars, we'd had Superman, we'd had Battlestar Galactica, and and, and the awareness I think was higher. And, well, the awareness, you know, of, the awareness of, of of stories that were not just pure entertainment, because we certainly had science fiction before two thousand one in film, right? Uh, the, but two thousand one, but two thousand one was the one. Two thousand one was the movie that knocked on the door and said, "Hey, th- we're serious players here." Up until that point, well, yeah, it was it was the B movies and the schlock films and the, you know, the drive-in right. theater it was, stuff. It was about it was about you know the big idea picture, yeah, you know, the, the philosophical science fiction that we really didn't you know you, uh, you know I think probably the the biggest philosophical <clears throat> question kind of things that popped up before were, you know, maybe you could argue that uh, some of the Shakespearean themes of... of uh, Forbidden Planet? Forbidden Planet were, were that kind of thing, or, you know, the, the questions at the core of Frankenstein or things like that. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it was the movie. It was the monster of the, you know, the monster was the star, you know, them or... Pretty much any any monster movie. Um, if you were looking at philosophical, you know, science fiction, you know, you were still looking at monster movies, right? Godzilla, um, you know, dealing with the atom, the, the threat of atomic power, and that sort of thing. But yeah, no, I mean, two thousand and one was a benchmark film for for the big idea. Um, I know people who have find two thousand and one to be impenetrable um, <laughs> because it. Well, because you know, and, and and it's not it's not a fast moving film by any stretch of imagination. It's very atmospheric, right? And it doesn't um, have any it, a- action sets, right? And to, and twenty ten, two thousand, you know, two thousand and ten was much more your standard. You know, it was it was much more, yeah, much more your standard movie. I mean, it, yeah. you know, in terms of structure, in terms of pacing, you know, it, and you had action bits, you know the. And you had shot. stars. You had you had recognizable yeah. marquee names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it makes it you know it it, it is a more, a more accessible film. And if you look at the two novels, um, it's a it's a much more uh, what we would recognize now as a science fiction not you know twenty ten is much more a science fiction novel that we would recognize as a um, you know. Thinking, thinking person, science fiction, you know, science, you know, speculative science fiction. Right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, addressing those, you know, what is the nature of humanity, where are we going, what are we becoming kind of thing that 2001 really has at its core. You know what we ought to do? Because, uh, was it Sci-Fi has announced they're going to be producing 3001, Sometime, right. and sometime in the near future, what you know what we should do? We should have an online watch party. And we've been talking about this for a while, but maybe this is maybe this is one of the one of the first ones. Maybe not the first one, but maybe maybe one of the first ones where we do a double feature, where we take two thousand one and two thousand ten, and we'll put them in the player, and we'll get online, say maybe you know live on our YouTube channel on Sci Fi for Me TV. And we get everybody to join us all, all all over the world. Anybody that wants to to hop in, and we all hit play at the same time. And we do our we do running commentary in the chat, and we can talk back and forth about the movie as we're watching it. Not a bad idea. 
I don't I don't think that would be the one where we start. I don't think it would be our first one. Maybe our first one would be something a little bit lighter, like maybe the Rocketeer, or or something like that. But but yeah, that I think because you know Ray, uh, you and anybody that hasn't seen these two movies, you probably should see them. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to, to to make an effort to see them before three thousand one comes out because I doubt three thousand one would make any sense without seeing those other two. It's a guess, right? And I think well, yeah. It was and what's interesting about those particular uh, stories is that the sequels to 2001 um, are actually set, each one is set in an alternate universe to, you know, to 2010, 3001, 2061. Um, those are all set in alternate universes to 2001. Every time, every time Clark wrote a sequel, he would decide he wanted to do something a little bit different. So there was no actual... I mean, all of them are, you know, a universe just to the left of the original 2001 universe. Which is kind of a cool way to do it, you know? It is, because it also, it also... I mean, you would argue it's a bit of a cheat, too, but as, as a creator, it gives you a chance to sit there and go, you know what? I have a new piece of science. I'm going to run with a new piece of science. Um, or, you know, I always wanted to change this. I'm going to, you know. So it's, <laughs> and because, because at that point, certainly, you know, Arthur C. Clarke had, had earned his audience. Um, the readers were certainly going to give him the flexibility to do that. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think too many other authors... Um, quite, quite had his stature. Um, you're, there's maybe well, you're not- maybe a handful. Asimov, um, Bradbury. Oh yeah, well, and I think some some authors like you know Larry Niven with the Ringworld series would go back in and make adjustments as more science became available. Right, and he sit there and go, "Okay, I have to, I have to come up with a way to make the ring world actually work because we've now learned that the way I wrote it back then, strictly speaking, it would have torn itself apart by now. So, how? What's what's the fix? You know, and and he would he would build on his universe that way um, by going, "Aha, this is the fix. So, how does the fix become part of my story?" Um, but certainly, you know, fans would. For example, you know George R. R. Martin. If he were to suddenly decide that the next book in the series was going to be, you know, one universe over, and you know, therefore you know, he was going to ignore critical pieces of the uh, or, or change critical pieces of the story he'd already established, fans would go berserk. Well, that's kind of what the show is doing now. I mean, season six oh, on HBO is kind of kind of going off on its own. So, it, so it could be argued that that one's in a different, in an alternate universe from the books as it is. I mean, granted, it's oh, a different sure. medium, but, but well, but that's just it. I mean, the, the, the there, that's kind of the difference between well, it's, it's what happens when you make an adaptation. I mean, right. the you know the MCU. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is not set in the same reality as the comic books. Right. 
you know, uh, the DCU, same thing. Um, and so when you have something like Game of Thrones or Preacher or Walking Dead or any of these things that are adapted from source material where the story is ongoing still, you know, they're, you're, you're making, you know, some of, it, some of it's obvious changes to the media. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you have 300 characters in your novels, um, okay, George R. R. Martin does not really have 300 characters. But it does feel like all, it, though. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't realistically do that on a television show. So you right. have to sit there and go, okay, these are the critical characters, these are the critical stories. We're not going to take these side trips that you can do in a novel. Um, because you can't, you know, narration, you know, internal monologues on television and film are always hard to make work. Yeah. Um, very rarely do those actually play out well um, in a way that doesn't just sit there and, you know, end up being just hard to deal with. You end up, you know, the, 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 the version, you know, the versions of Doom that we've gotten know what what internal monologues we've had has always felt awkward right um, you know no matter no matter you know how talented the filmmakers or the cast you know, once you start getting into the thoughts of a person and you're trying to have that on it it, it, it doesn't work well it's really hard to do yeah so well and that's and that's a pages. yeah and that's a that's a ver- that's a series of, of books that I have yet to uh, conquer completely I've done uh, I've done the first three books in the Dune series. I think three. I think I, I've read. Yeah, I think I've read th- the first three. And I've read the just, entire run of the Herbert novels, the ones that that, that he actually Frank wrote. Frank Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then I've gone. I think I've read three or four of the prequels slash sequels slash. And and that's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm afraid that I do fall on the on the side of of the folks who argue that everything that isn't Frank Herbert is a step down. Oh yeah, um, even though it's yeah, Brian well, and and Kevin Anderson that are writing it. Yeah, I mean they're talented guys, and 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 I know that that some of the stuff certainly was working from notes from Frank Herbert, but. The reality is, is that some of these some authors have a voice. Yeah. That it is very very hard. Let me qualify that. Uh, all authors have a voice that it is very very hard to replicate. And even the most talented of writers, um, you know, picking up a new series, you know, it, it it's not it's not like something say like a Star Wars book or a Star Trek book or something that's in a series. Um, you know, where you can, where you can, or the Doctor Who books or anything like that, where you can go back in and, and have different writers tackling the same characters. Um, because you, as long as you're hitting, if you're, as long as you're writing the characters properly, the stories work. Um, something like Herbert, Herbert was dealing with, you know, themes that were much, much larger than the individual characters. And he was subverting things uh, in a way that, Few authors uh, will are willing to do with their own characters. You haven't read the fourth book. You, uh, God Emperor turns the entire series uh, on its head yeah. up to that point, and then by the time you get to 
the chapter house, whatever the whatever the last book that he had written was, uh, you've come to realize that, that the hero of the series is not who you thought it was, hmm. and it's you know, he, and he was and he was dealing with political themes and, and ecological themes. There's you know, there's there's he had these big ideas about about politics and culture and, and humanity that flow through the series um, in, in really detailed kind of ways. And, and, and for a lot of folks, a series like Dune is, is very, very dense and hard to crack. Right. Uh, because it, there's a, he puts a lot of information in this book. You know, I got and a chance to, uh, to interview uh, Brian and Kevin on Live from the Bunker a while back. I, we ought, I'll, I'll pull that file out. We'll load that back into the archive and uh, let people listen to that because it was a it was an interesting discussion about you know picking up the picking up the baton and and carrying forward with it um but you're right it is well, yeah. it is very 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 thick in its in its ideas um because i mean it's it is all over the place economics and politics and and uh environment and ecology one of the things that struck me was his use of water related language to talk about the desert and that that all that had all that has always stuck with me uh from the first book uh how much he did that and i always found that really fascinating well i think that i think that in all fairness to to anybody who picks up a series like that or, or tries to continue on a story by an author who has a voice or a concept that they're playing with it's an incredibly huge challenge. Yeah. Um, you know, the the estate of Douglas Adams, you know, picked the author of Lemony Snicket. Ian Colfer. Here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and these are, you know, certainly somebody who wrote an incredibly popular and funny series. And for all the fact of that talent to to expect, for anybody to have the... Have the the expectation that he was going to capture the voice of Douglas Adams is, you know, fairly ludicrous. Well, and you know, uh, so and and the Heinlein estate uh, picked uh, Spider Robinson to finish up a book that Heinlein had started, but didn't finish before right. he died. And then, of course, you've got um, uh, McCaffrey's son and McCaffrey's son uh, Todd taking up the mantle mm-hmm. for for the Dragon Riders of Pern. And a lot of people. Uh, not too happy with Todd's work because it introduces things, uh, concepts and ideas and continuity problems uh, into uh, some of the later stories that contradict and run counter to what's been established in some of the early books. So, yeah, I can, right. see, I can I, see where I, some some of that is a challenge for some people. Well, I think ultimately it's a very thankless task because you are, you no matter how good you are, no matter how talented, um, no matter how much you're playing with really cool ideas, you're not that person. You're not that, you're, you're you know, and no matter how much you, you can copy that voice or make that voice seem so much like the original, it's still not the original. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and in some cases, you know, you know the, the flip side of that is something like uh, the V.C. Andrews books. Um, you know, she's been dead for many, 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 many years, and there's a new V.C. Andrews book every year. Uh, <laughs> and but you're but you're going to those for a different thing. 
Yeah. You know, something like that. Or the Tom Clancy, the Tom Clancy uh, uh, books that were published after his death that were written, ghostwritten by other people. Right. Well, um, and then you know, you've got not, uh, um, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Sure. That were you're not, written. You're not going for that particular voice, necessarily. Right. You're going for those characters. You're going for that, you know, and, you know, the, you know. Another one that's, that's go ahead. I was going to say that, and that's that's what works in your favor if you're doing a Star Wars novel or a Star Trek novel yeah. or you know a Battlestar Galactica novel. As long as you're capturing those characters, it doesn't matter whose name is on the novel, right? Um, and as long as you've got the world right, and, and so you know that that's different. But when you when you get into those those, you know, if somebody were to pick up, if someone write a sequel to Stranger in a Strange Land, ooh. Um, you know, or a sequel to The Moon is the Heart's Mistress. Yeah. They're never going to catch Heinlein's voice just right. Right. Um, you, know, it's, you know, or somebody, you know, we've, we've seen what happens, you know, how hard it is to get an adaptation of Asimov made. Oh, yeah. And speaking of Asimov, that's the other one, because, you know, you talk about Thick, the Foundation series. That's one that I have yet to pick up. I've been meaning to. And I've actually got some of the books in the series as part of my library, but I don't have the first one. I haven't been able to find the first one yet, and, and I, I, it's not been top of my list as far as, you know, I must have, have this book. I've got to go get it. So, so it's not been, you know, it's not been something that I've, that I've dived into yet. But, you know, the Foundation series, you know, we talk about George R. R. Martin, the, you know, Song of Ice and Fire. I haven't read any of those books yet. Um, Neither if, have I. Okay. Well, I was about to say, what have what have you missed so far okay, so on I your have, list? Well, it's, it's it's a combination of missed and gave up. So uh, Robert Jordan, I started off with the first. I think I made it to like the first three or four Robert Jordan books, the Wheel of Time books. That's actually that's that's um, another one on Ray's list that he has not picked up yet. Yeah, I, so I haven't I seen him. I haven't I read him. Never yet. finished. It. Yeah, I never, never started. It. Never started. Um, I haven't re- I haven't read the Game of Thrones books, you know, The Song of Ice and Fire. I I haven't watched Game of Thrones. Yes, <laughs> I am aware. I've seen season one. I've seen season no, one because they sent us they sent us screeners, but I haven't I haven't seen it past that because I don't have HBO. By the way, I will oh, take this moment to uh, to uh, encourage everybody to read Carrie's recaps because we are recapping Game of Thrones. Uh, this season on Sci-Fi for Me, yeah. as well as uh, you mentioned Preacher earlier, we're talking about that on the Zompocalypse Now podcast. I'll throw those plugs yeah. in. So uh, yeah, so it's it's the the issue for me, and you and I talk about this all the time off the air. We talk about it occasionally on the air. Is time. There are so many great shows on right now that you have to pick and choose which one you have time for. Right. And and I was aware that diving into a show like Game of Thrones would make me want to go back and read the books. Which, yeah. since I hadn't read the books, that means going back and starting from the beginning of the series and working my way through them. And that was, for a lot of different reasons, my time commitment, I was not able to dedicate to it. But you know, no matter um, how long it takes you, you'll still be caught up by the time Martin finishes the next one. <laughs> right? That's true. 
I'm o- I'm only forty six. I have, you know. You've got time. plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The the well, and, and but here's the thing: is that all the all the controversy that has arisen with the TV show about the level of violence and the violence towards women and right. the the and the the fairly disturbing to me emphasis on on rape as a weapon um, has not actually made me want to watch the show. Well, and it kind of makes uh, you I, wonder too that if if you talk about you know somebody else writing uh, once let's say let's say something happens and Martin dies before he finishes the series, what will the rest of those books look like if he's not the one writing them? Right. What kind of tone yeah, I mean, it's, shift will there be? Well, it'll, it'll, be, it'll get done quicker. <laughs> Now, not, sorry. well, they could get sorry. they could get David Gerald to write them, and they'll take just as much oh, time. Uh, so, so we'll add, we'll add another we'll add another series that requires an ending to something that's not going to end. Yes, um, yes. Although he says he's working on that book, he's working on that the, uh-huh. the next book in the in the tour series. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's what he said in the interview. Uh-huh. Three was what uh-huh. was it? When did I interview him? Three years ago. Something like that. Oh wow! Where does the time we, we go? We love you, David. We love you, David. But finish the damn series. Um, <laughs> At least the next book. Well, and, yeah. Well, and, you know, I think it, here's here's the thing about not starting something or not or not getting into something when, when it's hugely popular um, and everybody's talking about it is that as fans, it is perfectly okay for having something not work for you. You know, I mean, there are science fiction fans who are not necessarily uh, fantasy fans, and vice versa. Yeah. You know, the folks, the folks who are enjoying Game of Thrones uh, may not be the same folks who would enjoy. Well, the thing that just popped into my head doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, you know, they're not going to enjoy the Marvel movies. Everybody loves the Marvel movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but. Ike, Ike Perlmutter probably doesn't. Well, that's probably true. No. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you know, it's so obviously, you know, if you're a fantasy fan, science fiction may not be your thing. And if you're a science fiction fan, fantasy may not be your thing. And so it's okay. It is okay. Um, and not just because, I'm not saying that just because I don't watch it. It's okay to not watch Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay to have stopped watching Game of Thrones if people got, if it was upsetting. Um, Know, we, nobody's under any obligation, you know, despite despite the hue and cry of, of certain segments of fandom, you know, you don't have to love something. Right. Um, and you don't have to hate something, too. You know, I mean, we we have talked a lot about how much we, you know, we're, we're disappointed with, uh, you know, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, but if you're out there and you're enjoying that stuff, then good for you. Yeah, and yeah. this is something we actually talked about, Sonia and I talked about on, on uh, Sci-Fi XY, summer podcast last year uh talking about the fact that you know from a from a newcomer standpoint from a newbie standpoint if you're new to the genre and you're coming across something that everybody loves and you just don't quite get it and it doesn't it doesn't jibe with you that's okay you know you don't 
for 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 all of the love that it gets, not everybody is going to get into Firefly. You know, it's it's thirteen episodes, and people love it, or they don't get it. And you know, yeah. this this you know how can how can thirteen episodes go for ten twelve years, and people are still fans, and they want more, and da da. Well, there are some people that just don't don't get into those things. Um, to, and and that's okay, you know. Some people don't like the new Battlestar Galactica. Some people don't like the new Star Trek reboot. I'm I'm among that group. Um, but I tell you, tell you what, here's what we're going to do. One thing one thing that I am in the group for is uh, is uh, people who get superhero stuff. Oh yeah, that was a very awkward transition. But we got to take a break, and we're going <laughs> to let you hear from our sponsor because we get, there's a box. We've got a box, and we have to we have to go through it at some point. But we will let you hear from our sponsor, SuperheroStuff.com. And when we get back, uh, we've come across a few uh, a few articles of uh, that that fit this this particular topic. Uh, we will continue discussing uh, titles that we have just not gotten around to uh, when H two O continues right after this. This is Sci Fi for Me Radio. Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com! From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between. Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff, which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the must-have superhero mystery box. A $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com! Where heroes shop. Behind the scenes tidbits, production notes, casting, news, games, toys, reviews, interviews, we've got a little bit of everything. Plus, you can sound off with your thoughts and comments, and who knows, you might be in our next episode. Star Wars news, we call it Salacious Crumbs, and you can check out new episodes only on Sci Fi For Me TV. Atomic Cotton, where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon, or find them on the web at AtomicCotton.com. Atomic Cotton, shirts and art for fans by fans. Hi, this is Sonia Rodriguez, and I want you to join me for Season 2 of our summer podcast, Sci-Fi XY, right here on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Back on H2O, Jason Hunt here along with Timothy Harvey via Ansible. Hello. And uh, here, a couple of articles, uh, I, I hesitate to uh, to cite the reference, but these are over on io9. Um, the, something, something that we have talked about here, you know, our topic tonight, the, the things that we just haven't gotten around to. Uh, books, movies, TV series. There's a number of TV shows that I have not... Uh, that I've not gotten to yet. Sliders is one of them. I've started. I, I started what I saw the f- the first couple of episodes, and I just never got got past that. Uh, and and like anything else, it's a matter of time. I'm binge watching Deep Space Nine at the moment. Um, I've gotten fairly further into Farscape because I didn't I didn't see that the first time around. Um, Babylon Five I caught in fits and starts, so at some point I'll probably have to go through that. But this article here uh, on io9, this is from Charlie Jane Anders from uh, uh, July of 2015. Ten books you pretend to have read and why you should really read them. And I'm just going to go through the titles here because 
um, because I'm guilty on this. Uh, the first one on the list, Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson. Now, I don't pretend right. to have read any of these, but I will acknowledge I have not read this book. Uh, I loved it. Did you? Yeah, I really did. It was, uh, if I if I can make a little pitch there for picking it up, it is um, it is a dense novel, like a lot of, of, of his novels, Neil Stevenson novels. Um, but it is really, really interesting. And it surprises you, which I think is, is something that's that's really fun for me, is reading a novel and going, hey! <laughs> so I, would definitely, I would definitely say, folks, you know, if, you, if, you're interested, if you're interested at all in history or, 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 or hidden history or uh, cryptography or, or, you know, just an interesting, almost a quest adventure story, uh, it has all of these elements, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, second one on the list, Dune by Frank Herbert. Now, that one I have read. And then we've got uh, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. Haven't read it. Haven't read that one either. Foundation by Asimov. This is now this all. this one is the first book in the series. Like I said, I have not I have not read that one yet. I've got a number of them in my library, but I don't have the first one, and I don't want to read the rest well, of them without the first one because otherwise I know it's not going to make any sense. Well, and the interesting thing about about foundation series is of course that Asimov as his as he was getting into the, the later years of his life began linking all of his big stories into one epic universe and talk about shared universe uh, we hear that a lot when we're talking about uh, TV and movie universes but the, you know Asimov did that with a significant chunk of his literary output so the robot series and the foundation series and goodness something there was another one too. So he basically um, just went Wold Newton on everything that he wrote. Oh yeah, yeah, all of his stuff connects. It's all part of the same giant arc of of the future that he was writing hmm. or where where humanity was going. And the interesting thing is is that you can read like the first, I think one of them is on the line, like the first three books in any one of those series yeah. and still get a story that works. Um, but then he would write these novels that would bring them together. So Foundation and Earth, um, I want to say it was Foundation and Earth, connected the robot series and the Foundation series. Oh, okay. Uh, and the caves, the caves of steel books, which was his mystery science fiction with robots, was a uh, a future, a, f a further future uh, arc that built on his laws of robotics short stories. So all of this stuff ultimately connected into one giant story. Hmm. Um, so you're looking at you know a dozen, two dozen you know, novels and story collections. Uh, so it's a fairly sizable thing to jump into. Yeah. and um, See, and that's one of the things that, that I have noticed that uh, for any for any series where I know there's going to be that big of a load, that heavy of a, of a, of a, a series of, co you know, collected stories, 
I'm hesitant to dive into it because of the time commitment. It's like I, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to get through it. And yet, having said that, I've read the Dragon Rider series, I don't know, what, three, four times? And, and the Honor Harrington books, three, four times. The Star Trek novels that I got in my library, three, four, five, six times. So, you know, it, it, but, it, but it takes it. Those are, those are books you can read individually. They're not, you know, they're not, they, they, especially the Honor Harrington ones, they do happen in sequence, and I read them in sequence because I like, I like watching Honor Harrington's character develop. So I generally don't read those out of sequence, but like the Star Trek books or the Star Wars books, I can pick up one and I'm, I'm not in the middle of anything. They're all individual episodes. So, right. you know, something like Foundation or something like Dune, you want to start at the beginning, you want to dive in, you want to just keep going one to the next to the next to the next. And it's it's very much a challenge to do that kind of thing. And I think for a lot of people, especially newcomers to genre, if they sit there and they go, they're, they're, wait, there's how many books? It gets a little intimidating because it, uh, where do I start? You know, you've got 20, 24, 25 books in the Asimov thing. You got all these books from Bradbury. You got all these books from Heinlein. You got all these books from Clark and McCaffrey and Herbert. And it's and, and there's so much of it. It's almost like right. it's almost like there's too much. And and it's like uh, like we've discussed before that TED talk. The guy says, "Yo, when you've got too many choices, you're never satisfied with any of it. You get you get into this this shutdown mode because." You've got so many options, you don't choose any of them. You just get you just get paralyzed. Right. And well, and I think that, that the good news is is that with something like books, um, you can go into that stuff at your own pace. Yeah. And if you decide you want to tackle it, then all you and and of course you certainly can go online and find out the preferred order for reading any of this stuff. But you can you know you you can take that at your own pace. I think it gets a little trickier when you're dealing with, you know, four seasons, five seasons, you know, ten years or whatever of a TV show um, where, you know, if you're doing the run of Babylon 5 or, you know, um, The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones or Farscape or any of these things, you're, you're looking at a significant chunk of time that you're devoting and binge watching certainly, you know, while that has become a thing that we all kind of do, it's um, it's still a time can. commitment. It's still a lot of time. Oh yeah, yeah. There's another one on this list: Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by uh, by I Susanna really, Clark. Really enjoyed that. And that one uh, is now a TV series, and I think it's on Stars. Is it? Um, I have to look and see. But we have been recapping that. Cammy's been writing recaps. Of that show, um, also it, it was a it was a, a limited series. Uh, it, you know, it had a because it's a done. Oh, is it? Uh, okay, all right, all right, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it you know, there's there's supposed to be a sequel to the novel on the way. I see. Um, and which means there will eventually be a sequel to the series. To sure, the series. But um, yeah, it's and, and I really enjoyed that book as well. Yeah. I, I thought it was a very interesting alternate history. Another, um, another book on this list, 1984 by George Orwell. I have sure, read yeah. I've read Animal Farm. Every time I go to the library, 
to find 1984, it's either checked out or they don't have it in their in their shelf. Um, 1984 is also on the Hugo list um, that we have discussed because our original plan at the beginning of the year was to go through all of the Hugo winners from the beginning and right. re- read them and try to determine if and when, if and or when, uh, the, the, the tone of the, the books that win uh, started getting more political preachy message fiction rather than story fiction as is now the current controversy in the Yugos. We have not done that yet. Um, but, yeah, I've read well, that, a no, few. Unfortunately, but, the time, that's unfortunately, the time commitment. Yeah. Um, yeah. If there, were, if there were maybe six more hours in a day, Maybe we'd maybe we'd start to scratch the surface of it just a little bit. Um, here's one: uh, Last and First Men and Star Maker, two books by Olaf Stapleton. The long I haven't, read that. I haven't read those. The Long Tomorrow by Lee Brackett, 1955. Uh, Lee Brackett, of course, did the first draft of the script for The Empire Strikes Back before she passed away. Uh, right. This one is one of the first books to take place after a nuclear war. That's what that's what that was about. Dahlgren by Samuel Delaney. You read that years and years and years ago. I'm going to say I was in college when I read it, um, and I think it was one of the books that. I picked up, I went through a a stretch of time where it was like picking up the the books that had ended up on on, uh, band lists. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, because there was a handful of of titles that I picked up because they were like, these are controversial books. Yeah. And I remember enjoying it, but I also can't say that it's one of those books that stuck with me. In a way, you know, how some how some of these books, you know, these these important novels will stick with you, right? And yeah, that's actually one that it, it didn't it didn't stick with me. It's it's not one of the ones I sit there and go, I have to own it so I can go back and reread it. Which I have a, a lot of a lot of these books I do own. I do reread them, right? For whatever reason, I couldn't even tell you why. Uh, that was one of the ones that uh, that didn't. See, and I want uh, I want my son to read Animal Farm uh, before we get too far, too much farther along in this in this political year. Um, well, just Animal Farm, uh, Brave New World, um, uh, nineteen eighty four. Yeah, these were all these were all very political novels that used you know uh, science fiction in the case of Animal Farm fantasy. Because uh, I, 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 a lot of people don't necessarily think of Animal Farm as a fantasy, but it is, right? Uh, so, but I mean, these those were books that were very much and and Fahrenheit four fifty one. Uh, oh yeah, they were all about the they were all about the time they were living in. Uh, they were all about you know the you know what what that what how the author was feeling about the world that they were inhabiting. Um, for you know, and and in many ways about what they were afraid of in the world they were inhabiting. Um, 
and there was a, there's a really strong argument that the you know that the core of H.P. Lovecraft's you know extra dimensional nightmares you know that was his own fears being projected out into the world. Um, so you know a lot of these you know authors who have changed things and and these these critical stories to the history of, of science fiction writing. You know, they were talking about the worlds they were living in right now, right? Um, and it's easy, to, it's easy to forget a lot of that because because those books do transcend those moments. Yeah. So now we t- we both read uh, Childhood's End before Sci Fi made the adap- the adaptation. Uh, what else? Yeah. What else have you have you missed off your list? What What is it that's still out there for you to? Uh, Pick up and and read. Oh goodness! Um, uh, as popular as they have become, uh, there's a lot of the young adult fiction that has lifted above young adult into the popular, um, the popular right. consciousness. Stuff like Harry Potter um, and and uh, Hunger Games and that sort of thing. Yeah, because I read I read through all the Harry Potter books, and because uh, of course back when the first Harry Potter book came out, I was in the book world. Right. Book and so I just sort of followed along, and I was always impressed by the way that that series got older. You know, it got more complicated and more complex and more detailed. It grew up with the with the readership, um, which I thought was a really interesting interesting way to do things, and I think it worked extremely well. But the Hunger Games or the Divergent series or, you know, so many of these things which have been these kind of transformational um you know, that, that, that lifting of young adult fiction into the popular consciousness in a way that, that really hadn't happened before. You might have a book that, that stepped out of that into, you know, the larger world. But for a long time, like, you know, this is much as, you know, science fiction and fantasy was sort of, you know, relegated to the, to the pulp, you know, the, the pulp idea. It wasn't, it wasn't real literature. Yeah, um, and, and you know that certainly has changed. And for a long time, young adults, long after science fiction had stepped out, you know, and science fiction and horror and fantasy had become things that anybody could read, and it was okay. Nobody would sit there and look down their nose at you. You know, Stephen King did, in many ways, change that for horror. Um, uh, you know. Star Trek, the TV show, you know, kind of lifted science in 2001. These these things that, that basically brought it into the popular culture. Um, but young adults sort of had that. Well, that's for kids mentality. Yeah. So that's changed a lot, but that, um, it also has has meant that there's an explosion of it, um, which is great. That's that's more that's more genre stuff for for younger readers. But it also means that I'm way behind on some really really good series. Right. Uh, well, and I have I have all three Hunger Games books. If you want to read those at some point. Well, and then there's you know, but at the same time, I've read I've read stuff that that that, that most people don't know. Uh, there's an Australian, either Australian or New Zealand author named Garth Nix, um, and his young adult fantasy series. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I've really, really, really enjoyed it, and uh, I think I'm like one of five people that I am aware of who have read them. 
<laughs> they're not really they haven't really caught on for American audiences in a way that made the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, it, wow. Man, there's 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 so much. There you is know, so much, and, and, and I think and that, even that because. Even for us that have that have been in genre for a very long time, it's a deep dive. I mean, there there's there's so much that's out there, um, whether it's popular or not, whether it's well known or not. There there's still a lot that um, there's a lot I I know that I haven't read it or I haven't seen it. There there are movies and there are TV series that I have yet to get into that I need to. You know, that's that's part of that. You know. Here, the 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 twenty five science fiction films that changed history, or the you know the twenty five science fiction books you must read before you die. You know how many you know how many uh, quizzes have we gone through? You know, check off all of this these science fiction movies that you've seen and read. How many of these science fiction books have you read? And I'm sitting here thinking, well, I've been a genre fan all my life. And I'm not checking off very many of these. I kind of feel like, wait a minute, am I really a fan, or am I just kind of, you know, dipping my toes in the water? Because there's some of this stuff, and you know, and some of it, you know, like you said, it's a matter of taste. I'm looking at some of this. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't really, that doesn't really strike a chord with me. And there's some right, of it, and, 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 that's, and that's perfectly okay. I think that when you look at what is out there. Um, and the range uh, of what is there, you know, in terms of just the quantity, you could spend a lifetime reading all of these books yeah, and watching all of these films and watching all of this television. You know, I haven't seen Black Mirror or Mr. Robot. These are both really critically acclaimed uh, TV series that are, are set in the genre universes. You know, you haven't seen Person of Interest. Um, you know, I, I haven't watched that, Outlander. I fell behind on Orphan Black. Right. I mean, or, you know, Orphan Black, same thing for me. I fell behind on that, too. There's so much of it. And it's so. Well, and the good news is, again, and we've talked about this before, the richness of what is available out there. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that it isn't something that is considered to be, you know, any less a literary form. You know what we need to do? Here's what we need to do. We need Rich Uncle Otto to come back from Walkabout. And we need Rich Uncle Otto to pay our bills for, say, six months. And we sequester ourselves away with a pile of books and Netflix and a bunch of DVDs and we just dive in and just just do oh, yeah, nothing catch. nothing for say three three months six months and catch up on everything and we will be among the most informed genre fan journalists out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, when you when you consider that the the depth of knowledge that between the two of us we have on a large chunk. Well, a chunk, anyway. Yeah, I was about to say. There. There's a whole and lot out there. And then you consider there's so much more that we don't that we don't know. Yeah, um, it is that it is, and, and you and I have been. You know, we're both lifetime fans, lifelong fans of. You know, we've had we've had four decades plus each of 
of loving this stuff and reading this stuff and watching this stuff. And that's kind of an amazingly cool thing that, you know, we have that kind of, of pool of literature and film and television to pull from and sit there and, you, you know, it, that, that's a very cool thing to sit there and go, you know what, I'm never going to get to the end of this. Yeah. There will always be a new story uh, that I can find and that I can, I can enjoy. That's, that's actually really cool. Well, let's open up to uh, to our email listeners. Uh, or, well, people who don't listen, people don't listen to our email. Let's open it up. Open up the email to our listeners. Uh, say that ten times fast. H two O at sci fi for me dot com. Here's what we're going to do: give us your top five titles, books, movies, TV shows, whatever. Give us your top five titles that you think we should definitely have in our wheelhouse uh some of them we might have already uh watched or read but some of them we might not so give us your recommendation your top five titles of what you think we should definitely know about be familiar with in order to be true science fiction fans and uh, and we will we will respond accordingly and, uh, and, and, and again, we've talked about, uh, we mentioned last week one of the things that we're trying to get done between now and August, which is very quickly creeping up on us, is reading through all of the current Hugo nominees uh, list. So that's, that's on our ticket as well. So we're going to try to get through those. And, uh, and then we'll get to some of your recommendations as well. And that can include animated stuff. It can include comic books. It can include really obscure folk tales. I mean, if you've got any anything that you think is integral to the understanding of science fiction or fantasy or horror, uh, share those with us. H2O at SciFiForMe.com or you can leave us a comment uh, on all of our social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Tumblr, YouTube, and Twitch. And uh, that's going to do it for us, I think, this week. Timothy Harvey, thanks very much for uh, for joining me tonight. Always a pleasure, sir. My name is Jason Hunt. On behalf of all of us here at Sci-Fi for Me, thanks very much for listening to this program. We do invite you to check out our other podcasts. You can find by searching Sci-Fi for Me Radio on iTunes or podcast.com, or you can always find them over at our main site, which is sci-fi for me.com. Uh, check out our recaps of, uh, oh, wow, lots of different shows. Right now we're recapping Outlander, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Tim and Dustin are talking about Preacher over on Zompocalypse Now. And we're waiting for the fall season to return, and we'll be recapping a number of those shows as well. That's going to do it for us. We invite you to join us here again next week for another episode of H2O. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 